The opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect those of the owner, staff, or management of this radio station. senses and challenge your beliefs a world where science and religion clash or do they you will meet real people and hear real stories but you will not believe you will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds but you will not believe this is the new england ghost project welcome to the Welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles Next Generation. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England's own Van Helsink. With me, all the way from wherever she is, the queen of pain herself, and I haven't said that for a long time, Maureen Wood. Hey, how are you? Good, how are you doing? Oh, just peachy keen. Peachy keen, oh, well, that's a... Uh, haven't heard you on the other side of the line for a long time there, young lady. I know, and just be careful what you wish for, you know? Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, people want to kind of know, give you a little bit of what you've been up to lately. So um, you're still uh, in the paranormal. You're still doing your readings, I understand. I am. I'm doing uh, a lot more more like uh, larger readings with groups of doing readings, personal readings for those who've lost their loved ones. Um, I'm also just, you know, uh, in fact, coming up in a couple of weeks, I do the North Andover High School. I, I go out there and I do the uh, lock-in night for the graduation. I think, my goodness, that's coming up on nine years now that I've done that. So, we, you know, they lock them in after they graduate and they get to spend the night with myself and a few other readers. So it's, uh, it's a long night, but it's, it's certainly fun. I mean, you've been doing that as long as I've known you, which has got to be, what, close to 10 years? Yeah, it is. It's close to 10 years now, and it, I can't believe how much time has quickly passed. And beside that, it's my day job, you know, to keep me traveling constantly. So what are you going to do? I'm roaming around the countryside, meeting lots of interesting people. And I think we're going to talk about that a little bit later on, but uh, right now I believe we have our guest on the line, so uh, without further ado, let me introduce to you author and uh, paranormal, I hate to use the word expert, but paranormal curiouser, uh, Mason Winsfield. Mason, you there? Yes, Ron, thank you, and I, I appreciate you not referring to me as an expert because it's a tough field to be an expert about. I do not call myself an expert. Uh, Hi, Mason. <laughs> Hello, and I'm speaking to Maureen. Maureen, the Queen Thank of Pain. Thank you both for having me. The Queen of Pain. Oh, well, Nelly, yeah, I better uh, watch what I say tonight. Yeah, no, not the, not that I inflict pain, but as the years of traveling through uh, investigating with Ron, I tend to have taken on some pain. So you take that well, any way you want. <laughs> right, I will take it in the most positive way possible. There you go. <laughs> Actually, uh, Mason Marion is a trans medium and uh, a damn good one at that. Um, oh, thanks, Ron. 
the uh, you know, I mean, it's really interesting because when I started uh, paranormal investigating, I didn't believe in mediums. Thought they were all charlatanism until I uh, met Maureen, and then I realized that uh, she was the real deal. So, uh, yeah, it's it's been a, an interesting trip. Uh, she's channeled a lot of interesting people, and when she channels them, it's not just like you know she hears voices; she actually assumes their persona. And believe it or not, she uh, at times uh, gets uh, extra strong, I would say, because <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. she's tossed me across the floor before and uh, dislocated my finger and several other things. But anyway, I, mean, I, will try, I will try even harder <laughs> to be affable tonight. There you go. There you but go. it's a pleasure to, to have you on the show, um, Mason. I can't Thank wait you. to hear about some of your stories and your experiences. Uh, well, we'll find out. <laughs> so the the interesting thing, Mason, is is you uh, have written several books on the paranormal, uh, and you have a website. Why don't you give up your website in case we forget? Which a lot of times I do because I'm old. Mason, yes. Can you give up? I am waiting. I am waiting patiently. <laughs> Sorry, I'm on a. I'm on an outdoor cafe right now, and we had a couple of uh, rather machismo bikers go by. Um, my website <laughs> is Mason. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I figured I'd take them on, but, you know, what the heck, live and let live. Uh, my website is masonwinfield.com. Okay. And uh, it's uh, – the website's evolved a bit over the years. It's not exactly a, a research source for people looking up Western New York ghost stories. I I kind of like people doing their own research. Uh, however, I, I do speculate about, you know, a lot of different subjects, the mystical, the spiritual. It, it's a little bit of a journal, and I, I wish I could put more time and energy into it because there's a lot going on in life and uh, a, a lot that we can observe and write about that might might interest others. Well, well that's the interesting thing, Mason, is, is you have put a lot of time and effort in and you've written... I think around nine books or ten books, and uh, ten, you know, well, I've I've written more than that, but the only ones that count are the ones that are published. I published ten. Now there you go. Oh, very good. Um, you actually have one that I was looking here on the page. By the way, it's a great website. Uh, I was perusing it a little oh, earlier, um, but it's one of them was saying uh, a ghost hunter's journal is the the name of it, right? Um, yeah, that's my second book. It's fictional. Okay, it is fiction, right? Because I have telepathic stalkers and visionary cults and psychic murder, and I thought, hmm, be interesting to hear <laughs> from that. Sounds bloody scary. Yes, um, it does. Actually, it's it's based on research, though. I should tell you that, um, you know, in, in the research I do, I get some stories that are that are just classified. They're they're too hot. You you just can't. You you betray a confidence if you reveal the story. Mm-hmm. And. Um, if you fictionalize it enough, you know, you can tell the outlines of it. And uh, that's what I did with a few of the stories. A lot of the other stories, I guess, um, cases. You know how every typical story has got a start, a middle, and an end? And, and very often you'll get a case where you don't know the start or you don't know the end exactly. or you know the start and the end and you don't know how it got there. And all of those are imaginative situations. And um, I, I just fictionalize them enough so that I could tell some stories that were at least to me interesting, and I wouldn't um, betray any confidences. And I still have never been accused of that. I've never once been accused of betraying a confidence. So, 
If you write oh, 10 books and, on, on sensitive subjects and nobody even thinks you did, uh, you know, you, you're Which is not easy to pull off, by the way. <laughs> oh, I, I know that. And, right. and plus, you're dealing, you're dealing in such, a, such an abstract realm. And, and a lot of the personalities we meet are, you know, <laughs> they're a little on the edge. And um, they may change their, their tune every two weeks. And so you, you've got to be pretty delicate in the way you handle certain situations. But, you know, when I'm in doubt, I always defer in, in the direction of the good. And uh, uh, hopefully so uh, it'll keep working. So I, I have to ask you, Mason, um, how did you, you know, really get involved in this to start with? I mean, is it something sure. that you experienced early in your life, or is it something that you were just attracted to? I'm, I'm curious. I'm always curious because we yeah, all have yeah, our, yeah. Our different stuff. Well, you know, m- most things in life don't have only one single cause. You know, I mean, the Roman Empire didn't have one reason it fell. You know, there were a bunch of them. And uh, with me, I did have some experiences. Um, they they weren't uh, what what you'd notice in Hollywood, but uh, you know, films. But they were you know just reality chinks. I call them. There were. Incidents that just had no physical explanation that, that got me thinking there's a little bit more to this world than, than the sheerly physical. But uh, also it's an academic interest. I mean, as a kid, I read tons of books on ghost stories and witchcraft and mythology and folklore and legends. And um, I was an English teacher for uh, 13 years at a country boarding school at a master's degree in British literature. And what that does is it, yeah, it, it qualifies you <laughs> not to do very much. But you can read and write, and hopefully you can teach, which gives you a great basis for being able to learn. So if I decide to become an expert in something, you know, it's not as easy as being a true expert, but I can become an armchair expert pretty fast. And so when I decide to study something new, I, I can make great inroads up to a point rapidly. And, uh, you know, I had always been interested in ghosts and ghost stories and, and everything paranormal, frankly. Mm-hmm. And when I left teaching... I wanted to uh, find something that would be employable, but that would also follow my loves. And, um, I mean, I love literature, I love mythology, I love folklore, I also love the ghosts. And if in any of the other fields, you've got to go to graduate school and get your Ph.D. and maybe get a job, whereas the ghost business, well, heck, you can set up right now. There you go. <laughs> you know, yeah, there's no qualifications. And many do, Mason, many do. <laughs> Oh, I, I know that. Uh, well, no, I, I, you know, Western New York is home to quite a few of that sort. So, uh, yeah, and uh, but you know, in a way, it's such a freelance field that just having credentials doesn't mean you know the truth. You know, um, right. but it helps. It, it, it's nice to uh, elucidate the, uh, the, pro- the the problems and situations. It's also nice to understand terminology. Um, I, I think in in our fields, um, terminology is very important have clear, accurate terminology, because a lot of these situations, um, you, you're never going to figure them out if you, if you don't know how to kind of classify them, you know? You, you, you can't let the terminology rule you, but it's helpful. Well, I mean, it, it's difficult. To me, it's difficult uh, because one person's ghost is another person's spirit, with another person's demons is another person's orb. So, I mean... Right. It's, it's our own reality and how we define it. Uh, or else we could just use the words as they're, as they're intended. You know, there's, there's an awful lot of projection going on in the ghost business. 
It's like if you take a picture of something, you may realize you've got a picture, but do you know what caused the effect on the picture? And that, to me, is one of the, one of the fundamental issues, mm-hmm. is that there isn't a cause-and-effect relationship going on between some of the phenomena people claim to be ghosts and an image on a piece of paper, an image on photography, a digital image. I mean, yeah, there's an image there, but, but we don't know what put it there. Right. Well, now, see, I would have to question that fact or your belief, and that's not so much question, but it's good to, I think, discuss it. And I, it's a, I think maybe it depends on what else was going on around it, right? So a lot well, of it, obviously, is conjecture because, again, like, and I agree with what Ron said, too. It's like everybody does see something a little bit differently, and you can interpret it in the way that, you know, a lot of it has to do with your own beliefs and your upbringing. Um, but, for instance, many times when you're getting images, you might have something that comes to you and says, well, you know, I have this orb that showed up in the picture. And you're right. Is there a cause and effect? There may be. There may not be. It may be a certain way that it's being triggered and created in that digital realm. However, if you're feeling it's like being, let's say, an intuitive or a sensitive and they're picking up on something, and then you have someone next to them with an EVP, and at the same time an EVP is going off, or you're registering some abnormal, you know, something different outside the normal electromagnetic field, and then you get a picture, and on that picture at the same time there's something there, maybe there is more of a cause and effect. Well, I, I would never say that there couldn't be. Um, all I'm saying is that there are multiple perspectives on this, and mm-hmm. let's put it like this. The scientist... You know, let's, let's say there's a zoologist who's staked a, a chunk of woods in the Amazon and they want to catch a new species and they videotape and they don't get a film of the thing, but they get a footprint. Mm-hmm. And from the footprint, they go, aha, the thing is also, it's blue you know, or it's mad or something like that. In other words, they're projecting something and the only fact they have is they've got a footprint. Right. See, I sort of look at an orb that's mm-hmm. photographed as like that footprint. You don't know what made it. Now, someone who has great faith a spiritualist, such as, I think, such as I think Maureen is, well, that's your truth. You know, your your insight is, is enough exactly. truth for you. But there's a large perspective, a large chunk of the world that that, that isn't enough truth for them. Right. And I believe in I believe in including them. You know, and and so my approach is generally based on skepticism. Right. It's well, almost Cartesian. You know, I mean, disbelieve until you believe. That's the thing. I mean, we we know, or I know as the paranormal investigator, that, you know, there are natural occurrences of uh, orbs, you know, like, uh, you know, dust and insects and water vapor and all the rest of the things, and not even getting into the camera itself. But I know all that. But the only problem that I always have is that when someone comes up and they'll show me an, an orb on a little boy's shoulder and they'll say, that's my grandfather, and there is absolutely, you know, what drives this person to believe that that is definite? It's not like, you know, I think... I love that. I know, I know, I love that. Well, you know, Grandpa really used to like flashlights, and he said he always wanted to come back to look like one. So, mm-hmm. therefore, the orb is Grandpa. No, I, I love that. On the other hand, when I do deal with individuals like that, I try to be very nurturing and respectful. You know, I, you know they're obviously in a state of emotion, and I, you know, I don't... I don't, I don't punch the balloon, you know. Well, I mean, I think a lot of it has to do, too, like not just there's a balance in everything, okay? There's not just because we find some, some proof or you find that you, what you perceive it to be as proof, nothing's 100%, okay? 
So there is a balance in everything you do. You have to go through that skepticism. You have to go through and look at it with that sense of reality. And then also, you know, what was going on at the time. There may be scientific reasons for it. There may not be. There may more, again, be if you're picking up, and that's where I go back to, if you're feeling something and you get more, then to me I feel there's more going on. And just standing up for that, the person just as a, you know, someone that has that sensitivity it's something that they've struggled with, too, all their lives when they feel something, and it's difficult to express it in such a way where people can understand it. Yeah, so. it's a very isolating gift. I mean, it really, if somebody does have that gift, I don't. My, my psychic abilities are low rollers. But, hmm. but for someone who does have that gift, yes, it, it really um, it's something you probably can't talk about much as a child, and, and um, it's, it's not until you become an adult and you maybe develop a, a circle that you are able to discuss it. I, I, I can see that. It's a little like being an artist sometimes, too, you know. There's not a lot of uh, societal nurturing that goes on for that. You know, the other uh, thing, I'm sorry, Mason, but, you know, I mean, what you do is, is another part in that you really do the research on the history of items. And I think the, the, the history, of course, is the key to any paranormal investigation. And... Um, I, I think that's a, a, a thing that's lack, lacking in a lot of uh, investigators. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, it, it would be nice to get a, a broader perspective, you know, that instead of just having the guys, you know, run around with gadgets and have somebody give their impressions, if they'd get some real good researchers in to sort of dig around. But, but um, I should... I should say that I'm I'm not a psychic. I don't talk to the spirits. I if I did, I wouldn't believe it. Um, I, I just don't know if I could trust my impressions because I've been so wrong so many times about so many other things in the material world. You know, <laughs> I, what what makes me think I'd be any good at something that's even more difficult? Um, I'm also not a not a surveillance guy. I'm I'm sort of the backstory. I'm the guy who tries to figure out what is the pattern underneath the things that people like like you, Ron, and, and Maureen, I, I'm the backstory. I'm trying to figure out what is the profile of this place at which the two of you are um, making your discoveries. Mm-hmm. And so how do you apply that to, a, like, for instance, a paranormal investigation? Well, I don't do, I don't do paranormal investigation. So, um, well, but, I, but you uh, do ghost walks and you do ghost stories. You've written several books on ghost stories. Oh, oh, absolutely. So, I'm exposed yeah. to the subject. Well, so, um, if you talk, that's, that's uh, got to play in, play into it. Yeah, I would say I'm a profiler. I try to figure out what is the pattern of this place and how it relates to other places that get ghost stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the pattern of this story? How consistent is it with the pattern of other stories that have been said for quite some time? And that's, that's really about it. People and places, stories, reports, and, and their, their consistency and, and the general profile of sites. So, Mason, in your experience and those that you've you know, spoken to or interviewed, whether it be, say, ghost stories, and you say you're a profiler, so you're actually you're looking at a story, maybe multiple stories that maybe these individuals had no connection to, but all seem to pick up similar information. Have, so you've you're, had that experience? Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's okay. definitely patterns that can be made, yeah. So let me ask you this. In your experience, 
or from talking to certain individuals, is there any one story, and you say you hold the uh, skepticism, is there one story that you found it difficult to be skeptical on? Oh, many. You see, skeptical doesn't mean a materialist, structuralist disbeliever. Skeptic Mm -hmm. means you don't have your mind made up. That's what skeptic means. It means right. you, you don't have your mind made up until you study the evidence. The okay. trouble is that there's a society of skeptics out there that don't oh, believe yeah. anything. Exactly. And they're very, very well funded. So they probably shouldn't be calling themselves what they do. They should call themselves the materialists or the okay. physicalists or the structuralists. They shouldn't call themselves skeptics. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, that, that's what the words mean. So I might be a little bit more of a skeptic. I believe some of the stories I hear. I don't believe them all. And no, but there definitely are times when I reach the conclusion that the simplest, the simplest explanation for what's going on is that something supernatural has happened. Right. Now, what is that? Oxum razor or the the belief that the simplest holds true? Absolutely right. Go to the go to the bottom line. I mean, when somebody's trying to explain away a poltergeist case as a conspiracy of trained squirrels with microchips implanted in their brains, you know, or, or you <laughs> yeah. know, whatever. I mean, you know, when, when the explanation for the, the unexplainable becomes more, more unlikely than the fact that, that something supernatural could have happened, then that's when you start to go, well, and we better just take this one to the bank and call it a day. If you're asking about individual cases, um, mm-hmm. certainly uh, some of the visions people report, some of the after-death you know, after-death communications, mm-hmm. yeah. um, some of the synchronicities, you know, uh, marvelous timing. Um, also, uh, some of the children, you know, stories from children, imaginary friends, things like that. Uh, right. The Native Americans, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I interview a lot of uh, people in western New York, upstate New York, who are living on Iroquois territory. And some of the most powerful uh, material you get involves the Native Americans. They, uh, the Iroquois people, anyway, are extremely, um, they're extremely spiritual, they're extremely psychic, and unlike my society, I mean, I'm a, a white guy, you know, my ancestors are English and German, you know, we've lost our, our supernaturalism, you know, the Druids, the Bards, it's, it's gone. We, we've really lost our indigenous supernaturalism. Uh, all of our traditions, well, just about all of them are gone. The Iroquois, that hasn't happened to They've preserved an awful lot of their ancestral wisdom, and consequently, um, they are in pretty good pretty good position to understand or, or to comment on a lot of things that happen in upstate New York. Some of their healings, some of their visions, um, just beautiful stuff, and and you you really do start to believe. Very right. good. I mean, there's I mean, so much out there, that, I, and I think that's a lot to do with it. There's so many different opinions, and I think it gets to a point, especially now in the digital age, because everyone's on YouTube, everybody's given their opinions. I think it's so difficult, especially for someone who's maybe coming into abilities or are interested in the paranormal realm, to have all this information thrown at you. It's almost, you know, it's too too difficult to actually either absorb it or to make sense of it. Oh, well, well, yeah. I think I, I would compare the general field of the paranormal outlooks upon it to American politics. I mean, yeah. just think of American <laughs> politics, Norman. You've got extremes of belief. You've got yeah. your uh, far right wing conservative who thinks all 
lefties are whatever, thinks they're all Marxists or something. And then you've got your left-wing, uh, you know, your left-wing activists, and they think anything to the right is Satan incarnated. And, um, you know, paranormal attitudes are like that. You've got your diehard skeptic or your disbeliever who just doesn't think, you know, doctor, no, you know, they just don't think it happened. And then you've got your spiritualist on the other side who believes not only that this stuff happens, but it's probably an attempt by some disembodied intelligence to communicate. And these are extremes of belief. The difference between the paranormal realm and American politics is that American politics, fortunately for us all, has a very large middle ground. It's got a very large middle that makes its mind up based on issues rather than ideology. But, but in my experience, uh, the, the paranormal has a very small middle ground. Most people, are their attitudes are either materialist or they are spiritualist. Hmm. I, I, you know what, I tend to agree with you on that because yeah. that's the way they are. I mean, you, you look at both sides of the story, I mean, some people will make, you know, they want to believe in spirit, so they'll use an orb, they'll use something to say, okay, this is proof of it. And on the other side, uh, you have somebody who does not want to believe it at all, and no matter if they had a true picture of a, of a spirit, they still would deny it, uh, or a, any type of, uh, not you know, really good experience, and they would just deny it, and, and as you say, just, uh, you know, uh, explain it off. You know, there's got to be a good knock-knock joke out there we could all write up tonight based on the, the skeptic and the materialist. You know, knock-knock, and the materialist goes, it didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the spiritualist, you know, and the spiritualist will go, ah, yes, and what did, you, what, what, did you, what did you say in your past life, or something like that, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, I know we're coming up to the break. Uh, do you want to hold on a little bit after the break? Because I do like to talk a little bit about your ghost tours and, and some of the, uh, the stories in your books. Of course, Ron. Thank you. Yeah, so uh, we're going to break in about 30 seconds. So once again, give your uh, website out, which I believe is the best one is, is MasonWinfield.com? Yeah, just my name followed by a .com. And uh, the best place to get your books? Ooh, probably you can get leads on the website, probably Amazon. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, anyways, we are coming up to break, and you are listening to Ghost Chronicles right here on Tojanet Pararex Ghost Channel and Beyond. Uh, my special co-host today is Maureen Wood, the Queen of Pain, and I am Ron Kowak. And our very special guest today is Mason Winfield. Be right back after the following messages. Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more. 
all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. We're back, I think. Okay, you are we we're back. back. I tried. Ghost Chronicles. Uh, yeah, that was pretty lame. I'll <laughs> My timing's yeah. off. Sorry. Yeah, we're back. You're listening to Ghost Chronicles uh, Next Generation right here on Tojanet, Pararex, Ghost Channel, and beyond. And our special guest is Mason Winfield. So, Mason, um, you have written 10 books that are published, so we'll leave it at that. And, you know, I look at them, and they're all over the place as far as the paranormal. I mean, you've got everything from, you know, a, uh, a Bermuda Triangle in the Great Lakes to, you know, uh, poltergeist to, you know, UFOs to whatever. I mean, it's – I mean, so is it the whole subject that intrigues you or – why? I guess. I guess well, I I'm a why. paranormal generalist. I, I I don't focus exclusively on any one of its topics. Mm-hmm. But um, a lot of what I've done is to try to chronicle the paranormal history of my region, upstate New York. So I went through the files and dug up everything I could on all the categories. You know, mystery monsters, right. UFO experiences, Native American spirituality, uh you know, crazy cults. Well, I guess they're not crazy if you're in one. But, uh, you know, I, I tried to I, I tried to really run the comb over the place and haul up whatever I could find of interest in the paranormal realm. And when I saw how much was there, I mean, it was really interesting to me. I, you know, there's probably people that would look at my books and go, "Oh my God, Western New York, it's so damn haunted." You know, it's a, you know, somebody got to do something. But but actually, you know, super, supernatural stories. Uh, exist wherever people are. People tell wonder stories. And um, I, the only way you could tell which region is more haunted than another is to study them all. And then you could compare. But, but there is a ton of this material that, that's out there. And especially since the explosion of the Internet. I mean, when I did my original research for my first book, I mean, I was starting in 1995. The Internet was not a major tool then. And no, even if it wasn't. would have been, I wouldn't have known how to use it. Right. And and the amount of stuff that, that is now researchable without leaving your house is is remarkable. It, it's frankly, the, the internet has made authors out of an awful lot of people who would never have been authors 20 years but ago. The only problem, uh, Mason, and I think you're aware of it, is that there is so much misinformation on the internet as well that it keeps getting retold and retold and soon becomes the truth, sort of like an urban legend. Absolutely right. That's why somebody like me tries so hard to, you know, cross-reference and backstory and go to the original, go to the original sources. And, uh, you know, I, I, I work pretty hard to, to try to be as accurate as you can be, at least with material details of cases. And, um, 
I, I've made a couple mistakes, but, but so far nobody's caught them. <laughs> um, but, but, but it is important. And you also have to have a critical eye because not everything that's written on the Internet is equally valid. Right. You know, if you're, if you're digging up, a, uh, you know, you, you really have to be able to sort your, sort your sources. Because, because, but, but, you know, even when I started writing my first book, even uh, simple data, simple historical facts about a building were not readily available in the, on the Internet. I mean, if you had a ghost story about a certain building, you had to work pretty hard to find out who the architect was, when it was built, who lived there. I mean, you really had to go to historical societies and, and, and dig around. And now um, a lot of that stuff is fairly easily gotten at. And um, there's even stuff I missed that's, that's now, you know, easily uh, available. Right. So, uh, um you know, it's, it's a new world. Let's just put it that way. But when I saw how common those stories were, I, I lost my fascination for heading to each haunted site and trying to stalk the ghost. And, you know, when I saw how many stories there were, I, I began to realize that what interested me was the big picture. What is the profile? And that's sort of where I have, have diverged from a lot of, of others. I'm interested in the, as much of the big picture as I can grasp about people's experiences and uh, the type of sites build up uh, psychic folklore. So, so that's what I'm sort of about. Now, now I know you do these ghost tours as well, or you're associated. I'm not exactly sure. Do you run the tours, or are you door set, or, or yeah. Yeah, this is Haunted History Ghost Fox. It's my my company. Uh, uh-huh. We're you know basically our, our name is pretty descriptive. You know, Haunted this Haunted History Ghost Fox. I mean, that's what we do. We 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 probably tell ninety percent history and ten percent ghost stories. But people like our uh, people like our approach. We're the uh, the original Ghost Fox company in in upstate in Western New York, and uh, I've got a number of wonderful tour guides. Uh, you know, website staff. An office, and uh, it's it's really a lot of fun. It's it's absolutely delightful meeting the public. You know, I mean, I, I know there have been writers who don't like people, but I'm not one of them. Uh, the, the people I meet on the tours, it's so energizing. You know, you you, you get these these busy summer or, or or fall nights, and you're leading people around, and you know, you're at least in your own mind, you think you're being very entertaining, and uh, it's uh, it, it's just a wonderful thing. Now, Mason, do the tours um, ever enter buildings? Are they, I know you have the pub crawl, so is that one that yeah, they go pub, into haunted yes, pubs? Yes, or? The, pub, the pub crawl enters the pub. There's no escaping it. No, Thank that's good. Right. You, yeah, there's, no, there's no compulsory <laughs> drinking. Because I want drinking with it if I went crawl. on there. <laughs> you, you would or wouldn't? I would, I would. Well, well heck with that, good. <laughs> good. Come along, we'd love to have you. Um, uh, but, you know, there are purists who, uh, for instance, we tried to have an event where we ran seances over at our office. And mm-hmm. um, we had, uh, we, we found that managing psychics to be like herding cats, you know. <laughs> One of them would oh, just, sure. just none of the, that, that none of the, uh, that none of the clientele should ever have a drink on the night of it. Heck, we're, you can't tell the clientele not to have a, you can't charge them a ticket, tell them not to have a glass of wine before they come. And, uh, you know, but, but I do know there are purists who believe that even one touch of alcohol. I do. I will tell you that. Affect, yeah, you probably don't work without a 
if you've had a had a glass. You know, my Algonquin friend Michael Bastine, who's the co-author of uh, my ninth book on the supernaturals in the Iroquois. When when Michael was a young man, I mean, he was a normal young kid. He used to party, and his his tutor, uh, Mad Bear, a Tuscarora shaman, said to him, "You know, if you're going to come on the medicine way, you can't have another drop of alcohol. You've got to quit the partying." And um, Mike, uh, he did that. He just he just quit, and to this day, he doesn't touch one drop of alcohol. Wow. Yeah, we we do investigating. Uh, that's a, a no-no for us. We if we're doing an investigation, no alcohol. That's uh, you know. Ron's also experienced that, haven't you, Ron? What's that? You know, it's going to bring it up. When we did the uh, the Wyndham restaurant, when Jane, uh, Jane, Jan had an issue. Don't you remember? No, don't know a thing. Oh yeah. Well, here's the thing, Mason. We, for years working with Ron, I said. We can't, you know, I wouldn't recommend doing a seance having alcohol. And for one reason is because when you're out there, and, again, this is my belief and many other, you know, people who are into the, you know, psychic abilities or mediumship, whatever you want to term it, you're picking up on energy and you're opening yourself up and your defenses are low. So if you have, say, someone coming through, you're easy pickings, right? I agree with that. And that is that. more so the thing to be very cautious of. So for years I told Ron, and I said, Ron, please, you know, he'd, oh, ha, ha, it's fine. So we had the Wyndham restaurant, and he was doing one of the nights, and Jan, his wife, lovely St. Jan, was sitting there at the table, and we were doing a seance, and, you know, everybody had some drinks before that, and Ron's like, yeah, let's do the seance. I'm like, oh, not such a good idea. Well, it was already planned, so we, we went ahead and did it. And sure enough, as if it was kind of a life-learning lesson, Poor Ron was uh, upset because Jan started picking up and, and having some, let's say, visitation from sp- and not so much wanted spiritual activity. So mm. it's, and again, because your defenses are down, you're in that in-between space, you know, you're not really controlling your senses as much. Yeah. You know, um, if we can shift to the subject of uh, demonic possession for the moment, which is not one of my favorite topics, so I do know something about it. There yeah. you go. There are a number of attitudes about that, but if you read a, read a book called Hostage to the Devil by Malachi Martin, mm-hmm. it, it is his philosophy that an awful lot of people who are substance abusers, they yeah. open themselves up. I mean, they basically destroy their inner protection by just getting you know, blitzified uh, all the time. And they become yeah. very much more vulnerable to um, to something stepping into them. So, and, uh, and, Yeah, and that's very true. I mean, I know Ron and I have had these discussions and experiences over the years, and it's I've seen much of it growing up. Like if I would see somebody, I was never sure, let's say, if you, you met a person that may have been a, a past drug user and so forth, at the time, I, I, when I was a child, I experienced meeting some individuals, let's say, and you could, I could tell by feeling and picking up on them that they were almost as if they had broken at some point and something came in. So absolutely there's mental illness and there's different stages of, say, you know, types of possession, but I do believe your, your ability to keep yourself protected is pretty much null and void. You know, um, there's... Um... There's a, a book out there. I'm pretty sure it's an old one. I'm, oh, I mean, you know, it's like 40 years old. I'm pretty sure it's called The Devil in Connecticut. It's a really interesting book. It's, it's about the first known American murder case where the defense was, the defense for the accused was demonic possession. 
But, but at any rate, um, it, it does mention that um, almost everyone who's ever troubled by the supernatural has mm-hmm. to have some kind of a way to open the door. In other words, people who ignore supernatural subjects are almost never the victims of any kind yep. of persecution that you might think could have a supernatural origin. But uh, people who have opened the door, you know, you it's like so many other things in life. You've got to open the door a little bit. And, um, you know, that's interesting. It's the old stereotype of the vampire, you know. The vampire can't come in unless you grant it permission. Mm-hmm. Allegedly, the devil can't do that. So it, it's interesting. I, I would have to say that um, when I started this, uh, my pursuit, I would say I've had two really big wake-up calls. Two things, I remember, two major ways in which my stereotypes were, were totally, totally totally blown out by what I found. One of them was that um, I started out believing that all, you know, the skeptical materialist societies, you know, the, the, you know, basically the debunkers, I thought that they were well-meaning individuals who simply didn't have the same belief I did. I, I really thought that their, their purpose was to stand up for truth. And I've been a little surprised because there have been a lot of allegations about some of the major skeptical societies that they, you know, frankly, that they, they repress people in their own society who, who do find something mm-hmm. supernatural. They, uh, they may falsify data. I mean, there's just a number of accusations against them. And, and this is not a simple thing. That, and, and that was when I realized that, well, they're human beings. They're, they're, they want their side to win. You know, right. it's, it's just like anybody else. But the other big wake-up call I had, um, what I, I mean, I had a pretty active interest in folklore, and I was very exposed to Celtic and Native American folklore when I went into, you know, my current profession. And I believe that things like curses and fairies and, you know, things like that were completely subject to folklore, that I would never, ever encounter people who believe they've, they themselves have encountered the real thing. And boy, was I wrong. I mean, and and I would say that that line fascinates me the most, the line where folklore and apparent experience Mm -hmm. overlap. I mean, you know, the Native Americans of of Western New York, of upstate New York, the Iroquois people, they have very active legends about about fairies, little people, very active, very strong. And you would think, well, so do the Irish, you know, so do the Welsh. I don't think I'm ever going to see one. And I've never seen a, a little person. But you We've, had the How- We've had the Puckwudgies. We've had the Puckwudgies. The We'll have them on next week's show. I look forward to listening to that. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they would have a lot to say. Yeah, that's Algonquin uh, language family, I believe. Yeah. But um, I, I guess I'm being too long-winded. But the, the long and uh, short of it is, when you interview living eyewitnesses who describe to me what they think is a ghost, and then you start getting into all the experience of how big was it and all that kind of stuff, and they, oh, yeah, it was really small, and you know, there are people who still see fairies in in upstate New York. Yeah, there there are a lot of people who believe in them, so why wouldn't they see them? Well, um, when I come at this from a perspective of, you know, basically skepticism, I'm I'm surprised when when I, I meet an eyewitness who will look you right in the eye and and say they saw this. It it, it to me is is one of the most remarkable things that. That I've encountered because I mean my exposure to, to the fairies was fairy tales, you know, was 
mm. you know, William Butler Yeats, my favorite Irish poet, writing about the, the Celtic bogies uh, and, and goblins. So when I find a, a person who's not exposed to that mythology, who's apparently just telling you what they saw in their own backyard or what their child saw in the woods, I don't know, to me that, that well, to me that, that impresses me. Well, I have to say when, you, when you're, I think sometimes I had my own, um, you know, eye-opening experience when, you know, I would sit there one time and I heard this individual talk to me about, let's say, I don't know, well, theories of the big green men or whatever, and then having somebody say to me, you know, this is, you know, real and true, and I thought for a moment and thought, oh, my God, this is what I sound like to someone else when I start talking about the spirits I've spoken with and all the experiences that I've had. So it dawned on me that, you know, even though I might not myself have seen these, had these experiences, does not mean that they're, they're not real because to them, because evidently if they've experienced them, I just don't have a point of reference to be able to discuss it, you know. And I and I think that one thing was for me because when I did have an experience later of not necessarily with fairies and so forth, but a different outside my normal experience, you might say, I was really freaked out for a long time. And I thought about it and thought, wow, you know, it just it it really knocked me off kilter for a little bit until I had to start realizing, say, okay, let's rethink my own belief system. And I think. That's what sometimes you're doing. Some people who are so dogmatic that they do not believe in any type of paranormal, it would take such a total shift. Even if they had an experience, they wouldn't know it because they'd never yeah. get to that point. Yeah, that's, that's, that's well said. I mean, there are people that are so far in hock to their public stance that they couldn't change. I mean, I've got some classified information that I obviously could never share with you right now, but I've known of some very prominent people in the field of the public field of skepticism, which we know is materialism or, or structuralism or debunking, who have had supernatural experiences. And they didn't. They were so shocked that, that they didn't know what to make of it. It, it like, shattered their worldview. And they actually were, were – they needed counseling to try really? to um, – uh, well, yeah, and I'm not giving you any names. Mm -hmm. Besides, all this is anecdotal. You know, I could, I could never prove it in a court of law, so I'm certainly not going to – No, I mean, know, it's, it's interesting, though, but – it you know it it's so it's so I mean we are trained growing up to not believe in certain things and to believe in certain things. That's interesting. <laughs> I think that was a fairy. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, we are trained uh, to believe and not believe in things, and, and and it's difficult to get rid of those feelings. I mean, many. I mean, for instance, someone sent me a picture of. Uh, a woman uh, from Atlanta, and she says, this is the best ghost picture you'll ever see. And, and I looked at it, and it was just her and a little girl in the picture. And I looked at it, and it was the little girl looked as real as you and me. And so I'm saying, where's the ghost? She says, the little girl. She wasn't there. Well, to me, it's so real that I kind of discount it. But what if it was really the best ghost picture in the world? I mean, that's the ultimate proof. Here you go. A three-dimensional yeah. thing, and and yet I, who someone who searches for it, you know, discount it in, in a second, saying, okay, that's that's too good to be true. You know, um, I'm not the world's biggest backer of uh, psychic photography, the way the the TV guys go about it. But on the other hand, um, I I do believe there are some great spirit photographs that have been taken. I mean, there's not many, but there are some 
knockouts out there that just, especially before the digital era, you know, they, oh, they yeah. just cannot be explained. And I'm sure you uh, you guys are, are familiar with them, uh, with some of them. I mean, they're, they're just fantastic. So the, the stuff, it, in my opinion, it is, you know, psychic phenomena does happen. Um, where I, uh, where, where the rub comes in with me is that I don't try to give it a motivation. I don't try to go, ah, this is, that's this is the purpose. And I don't even go, this is who it is. I mean, it's like I just see an image. And, uh, and, and you know, many of the haunted sites I research, <clears throat> um, you'll get reports of ghosts at the site for quite a few years. And, but a lot of the time, you don't have any idea who they are. You really don't. And, um, right. you know, trying to even find the, the identity of, of someone. Um, well, you know, the more well, I, I think about – go ahead. Sorry. No, I'm no, sorry. That's the interesting thing. We call that the famous ghost syndrome is that, you know, because someone died in a house and, and maybe if it's someone famous, then that's got to be who's haunting the house. You know, that's right. But we, we really don't know that for true. We, we make that, per, that ghost right. of that's spirit. Right. I, I love that. I, I call it, on my tours, I call it the George Washington effect. You know, oh, like you George go. Washington has like 500 reported ghosts in, in uh, the United States. In any of the original 13 colonies, if there's an outhouse still standing from <laughs> the 1770s, and there's one little thing where one little thing, a, a breeze blows the wrong way, they'll go, ah, it's, it's, it's Honest George, he's back, you know? They, right. they tend to project the identity of the most famous stiff that's ever been associated with the place as the ghost. And it, it leads to a lot of other interesting speculation because, I mean, some of the ghosts of famous people, they come back... Uh, you know, as as a person would have looked in their 20s or 30s when they may have been the most famous. But, you know, they may have died at 70. You know, why doesn't it come back looking like they did on the day they died? And to, well, because they want to look good. <laughs> well, I, yes, I, I've often requested that if my apparition is ever seen, it comes back looking like I did at 25. Exactly. Uh, ripped, why not? Ripped, pumping, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, um, that makes sense, though, Mason, because, for instance, I mean, why are not all ghosts naked? I mean, why do they have eyeglasses, for instance? You know, I mean, I'm surely in the spirit world, you don't need clothes or eyeglasses yet. Well, there are decency laws in the afterlife. There have oh, is that what it is? I mean, okay. it would be in, in well, decent spirit exposure. I don't know, uh -huh. though. Wasn't there um, one of the spirits that was they talked about from England and I, uh, Jack the Ripper's ghost that showed herself naked? Well, there are. Examples. And, the, the, and the, I'm, I'm wondering how do they in that know case, it was Jack the Ripper? Correct. That's the thing because how else would you have known that it was one? It was her. You know, maybe she has to show herself, and she's shown herself as a prostitute so much naked. It really doesn't mean anything. Well, I, I don't think know. <laughs> this is all confirmation of just, of that, the, just saying. the idea that these <laughs> these apparitions that we call ghosts. A great, a great many of them don't know what they're doing. They're, they're, they're images. They're just like films that are being replayed for, for no particular reason we can discern. I mean, when you see a photograph of uh, Indiana Jones in one of the indie films, you know, or you see a clip right. from it, he's at the same image the whole time. And, and to me, the only explanation for so many of the divergent factoids well, think... we have about ghosts is that they are, they are just images. They don't, that, that most of them are not conscious and that they... Don't right. appear to be back with any kind of intention or message. They are recreations of an earlier, of an earlier, of something that may have actually gone on at the site years before. Right, and I agree that there's much of that that goes on, but I also do I do believe that there is a lot that 
there is there are ghosts that interact and that they communicate and i almost and i almost want to chuckle when you make the the statement mason which i agree with you when you're saying oh you know you got the george washington one and i can almost see a spirit going really you can't see me you know this is who i am and he's not anything anyone famous he wants to be heard but yet everybody's because george washington had been in the area slept overnight maybe once it has to be him that showed up at the location yeah that could just get a get a guy pissed off yeah um, <laughs> exactly I uh, I do believe that there are apparent cases in which there is communication, and there are even apparent cases in which an apparition does resemble someone known to the observer who has who is about to pass over or has recently passed over. They often call these crisis crisis apparitions, or right. yeah. um, sometimes appar- sometimes they're they're actually people that haven't died yet. So, exactly. but, but in this case. They're very different from the type of uh, sight-based apparition because this the second form of apparition it'll it'll find people wherever they are. It's not right. something that keeps occurring at the same place. Oh, and the yeah. typical pattern I found is uh, that this type of apparition will make eye contact. It will find somebody wherever they are. It will uh, communicate, and it will typically not be seen again. It'll never come back to that person again. That's the pattern I've observed. So, and I also think that this is a far better evidence of life after death. I mean, that's the the bottom line is that we are not even sure what a ghost is. I mean, we all have our theories what a ghost is, and yet we can't prove any of it. I mean, it's all theory. Uh, I guess. Oh yeah. Until, until I, I never tell go. people what a ghost is. I, I tell them what the word means. It's an apparition. Yeah, there you go. Uh, the interesting. We'll yeah, Cat. Cat from the uh, Parallax chat room. She says uh, maybe they act, they don't actually appear, but they actually uh, project a mental image or energy that we pick up, and so that's we see what they want us to see rather than they're actually them. I think okay. that's a, a lot better explanation right. for the after-death experiences, the ones that, you know, because when I interview witnesses about that, they very often say, yeah, I'm not sure I saw it with my eyes, but I saw it very clearly in my mind. But, but I'm convinced by the number of multiple witnesses, multiple witness experiences that I've had, that, that any one of us would see an apparition, a ghost, if it were in the room and we were looking in the right direction. Because I've interviewed a number of people who, I mean, multiple witnesses who've seen the same thing. So I think it is visual when it's that type of apparition. Mason, you're not going to believe this, but that was the uh, doorbell. That means the pizza from the dead is here, so that means we've got to wrap up the, the show. The pizza from the dead. Uh, so I'll tell you not to cut me off. So, uh, you know, I, I really hate to, uh, you know, because there were so many other things I wanted to ask you. There were so many interesting, uh, you know, things in your books that I, I wanted to talk about. but uh, And I kept you on way longer than I really originally but, well, but I'm glad thank, he did, Mason. Don't listen you. to him. I want to thank you so much for, uh, you know, coming on. Once again, this is Mason Winfield. Go to MasonWinfield.com, and you can uh, see his books. You can see the tours. Uh, you do lectures, too, I believe, right? Oh, lots of them. There you go. So, Mason, thank you so much. Thanks, Ron Mason. Ron Marie, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. May the spirits be with you. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> you, too. Have a good night. Until next time. Yeah, bye. Bye-bye. Oh, that was cool. Yeah, that was great. I think he was uh, a great guest and a lot of uh, good information. Have to go check out his books. Good talker.
was a good talker. He certainly was. <laughs> <laughs> it was good, though, because uh, I no, remember I, some I, of the people would interview that we were pulling teeth, so that was good. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, I want to thank him for coming on the show. Originally, he was just going to be on for uh, a certain period of time, and we kept him on way longer than that. So, And I want to thank you for uh, filling in for Ann. Uh, um, so it's been a long oh, time. Oh, thanks and, for having me. I had fun. Yeah. And yeah. and uh, Ghost Chronicles, the original one with Maureen and I, is still the number one ghost show on iTunes. So there you go. Awesome. All right. So, anyways, there's the uh, tunes out, so it's time to wrap it up. I want to thank everybody for listening uh, in the Tojinet and Pararex and Ghost Channel realm and wherever else this is played. And until next time, we want to say good night and God bless all. God bless. Goalies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.